This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at BurnsClan. Follow at your own risk. And I am excited, y'all. We have a special episode planned for you. We are getting ready to have a conversation, or a couple of conversations actually, about the Netflix gospel special, Voices of Fire. It is a six-part docu-series that follows Pharrell Williams, who is the executive producer, who you obviously know uh, from hip-hop and pop recordings, and his uncle, Bishop Ezekiel Williams, and a number of gospel legends as they set out to try to form and try to create the world's most inspiring gospel choir. Let me tell you something, y'all. I did not know I needed this show. At the end of a long 2020, it was fresh water to my soul. It was definitely an uplifting experience, not without flaw, not without critique, and we'll get into that, but it was definitely something that is worth your time, and it gave me a greater appreciation for Black Gospel Choir music. So here's what we're going to do. I tagged in our newly appointed vice president, Ali Henney, and she had the privilege of interviewing Patrick Riddick, who is the choir master for the Voices of Fire Gospel Choir. And they had a great conversation. And then after that conversation, I was pleased to sit down with Ali as we talked about all of our reactions from the Netflix special Voices of Fire. And hey, guys, just before we get into these great conversations, I want to put a special plug in for the Witness BCC in the Will You Be a Witness campaign that's happening at The Witness, Inc. Obviously, our sister division in this organization, The Witness Foundation, is raising money. But let me just take a moment to just give you an appeal from the BCC's perspective. We are excited about what God has done in this organization over the past 10 years, but this is just the beginning. We are just getting started. There are so many great things we plan to do in 2021. We actually have four specific goals. Number one, we want to hire more staff for our organization. We know how important it is to have a great squad, a great crew around us. Number two, we also want to hire columnists and writers to give you more perspectives on the Witness BCC blog. Number three, we want to double our podcast suite. That's right, double the amount of podcasts that we're able to offer in the next 12 to 18 months. And then finally, we want to create communities of refreshing, whether that's cohorts, Facebook groups, and also witness chapters in major cities across the world. These are super lofty goals that we have. We know them. Very ambitious. But we can't accomplish any of these goals without your help. And so we're asking you to do two things. First of all, we want you to pray for us. Please pray for us. But number two, we also would like for you to give. You can join in with us, especially on Giving Tuesday, if you're listening to this episode at that point, and then even after Giving Tuesday as well in the Will You Be a Witness campaign. Go to thewitnessinc.com and you can designate your gift. Be sure to designate your gift for the Witness BCC. You can give a one-time gift or you can also give it monthly, a recurring gift as well. Any gift helps. Anything that you are able to do for us, it enhances what we are able to do and bring you and provide for you here at The Witness BCC. I am fired up. I am pumped about 2021, and I'm pumped about the future of The Witness. And I invite you on Giving Tuesday and even after Giving Tuesday to join with us in partnership on the Will You Be a Witness campaign. Okay, that's it. Let's get into these conversations, the first of which is by my good friend and vice president of The Witness, Ali Henney, with Patrick Riddick, all talking about the great Netflix show, Voices of Fire. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Ali. Hi, Patrick. It is so great to be able to hear from you. I enjoyed Voices of Fire so much. And so I just had a few questions for you today, if that's all right. Sure. My pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Um, So let's get right to it. So 
why do you think a choir like Voices of Fire is is needed today? I think it's needed today because with our current climate, the people need to be inspired, number one, to follow their dreams and to never give up. But also they need to realize that we truly are better together. When you step out and you launch out and and you include everyone, you truly create something that is magnificent. Oh, wow. That is, that's so wonderful. That's something that I was very moved by um, as mm-hmm, mm-hmm. watching the, especially the, the auditions. It, there, that was, there was something that was so moving to see people of different, of different shades of different hues from different backgrounds. You had people who were, who had um, a background rooted in, in country mm-hmm. singing. You had people mm-hmm. just in just a lot of, a lot of different um, vocal traditions, a lot of different vocal um, um, methodologies, mm-hmm. different things. And so that was something that was, that was really great to, to see and to hear on the show. So you have, you want to be inclusive of everybody in the show. This is something that Correct. you talk about. So how do you then as a choir master, I, I love that there was a point I think on one of the the graphics where they where they had had your name and had you as choir master, and you really just seemed to to be just totally in your element. How do you blend? How do you put all of those voices together that are coming from such uh, diverse stories, such diverse backgrounds? How do you do that? Um, really, it that was the greatest challenge for me, um, simply because it caused me to have to really dig deep and be stretched and be creative. And I had to really find ways to get them to understand. So every rehearsal was almost a a teaching moment as it related to um, the, what can I say, the the historicity of gospel music. And I would help them understand that a lot of uh, various other genres of music were actually derived from gospel or either inspired by gospel and how you could take your favorite, which may be R&B or it could be pop or something like that. And you can use it to understand gospel music and use it to execute it. And when they found their lane and I taught them to just be themselves, they didn't have to be anything else but themselves because we're creating our own sound. When that sound came, tears began to fall, smiles you know, came on their face and they understood that they really had it. And it was just an amazing uh, realization. Whenever you talk about the the tears falling and just having that moment where, where you're connecting with the music, as I was watching, there was a, there was a moment. Um, it's actually, it opens the entire series and then the series revisits it. Um, but it's the, it's the moment where, where that person is singing, um, Jesus loves me. That, that, mm-hmm, was so I was so moved to tears. So whenever my question for you is is whenever you are in that space of trying to trying to develop that choir, trying to develop those voices and to get them to to that that musical moment that you mm-hmm. have, um, backing that up to the audition room, what are you what are you looking for in that audition room in that moment? In that moment, it was a given that if you made it, you, you know, you had a, a great voice. But I was looking to see those people that genuinely exhibit a team spirit. Uh, those that really wanted to learn. Those that really wanted to do something beyond just trying to assert themselves or, you know, push their individual singing agenda. That's really, that's really great to be able to take that individual and then mm-hmm. to be able to, to make them part of a whole and and so is correct there it's like you're almost able to identify in that person in that moment are they able Mm -hmm. are they what i'm hearing you say is like are they able to not just have a great voice but are they able to be a team player to play a role within this within this larger wow that Uh that is that is tremendous that is absolutely tremendous especially given some of what we had already discussed with just the different (laughs) moments and stuff that that happened Mm -hmm. where there is um where you're bringing together so such a diversity to be able to to discern that from 
as early is, is tremendous. One of my mm-hmm. favorite moments of the of Voices of Fire came when you were directing the choir. It was the, it was the performance night. And there was a point where you had them singing. And so you were directing them and doing the cutoffs. And there was a point where you kind of tiptoed across the stage and, and, <laughs> and, they're, and they're singing the moment. That was, that was one of my favorite moments was there was something about that moment that was so that was so black that was so black choir director that <laughs> I love that moment so much um so can you can you tell me just a, a little bit about that moment in particular but just even your style as a director you just have so much pizzazz so can you can you talk about that <laughs> honestly we call that uh, we call that 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 technique chopping and chopping is when it's almost like you're chopping or you're hammering out the words or the syllables of a song. So on that particular part of the song, I believe we were singing it as well. And they were following you. They were saying it, it is, it is, it is well, it, 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 it. Okay. So with every it, I'm taking a step and I could have done it with my steps or sometimes I would have did it with my hand. I would say it, 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 you know, waving my hand. So that was the chopping style. And that's one of my favorite techniques for directing. Um, I was inspired by the late great Benny Cummings, Orlando Draper, Ricky Dillard, um, and Maddie Moss Clark. And they were very well known for using that technique. Myself, I add a, a little bit of extra animation in it because it's just really me. When I get in the zone and, and I'm directing and there's music going on, I'm really at my happiest. I'm, at, you know, the joy is just kind of bubbles. So sometimes you see me, I'll, I'll laugh in the middle of the song. I'm laughing. It's not because something is funny, but it's just what's on the inside and bubbles out. And so when I'm doing that, I'm really having fun. Like I'm really having fun. And then I'm pushing the choir to the limit because, you know, when I first taught that to them, they did not understand what I was doing. They didn't know if they could do it. A lot of them had never sung gospel before, never been to church before. And so to see that they got it, now I'm going to say, you got it. And I'm going to push you. And I'm going to show you just how much you got it because you're going to be able to follow me to a T. And that's <laughs> what they did. <laughs> and they they really, they really did. I I have seen that technique. I've heard that, but I had never heard the term for it before. So that, so that now, now I would be like, now next time I see it happen, I'll be like, oh, oh, they chop it. Like that's that's what <laughs> yeah, <they're> yep. <laughs> that's, we call it chopping. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. I am so happy to to learn that that technique. Um, speaking of fun, um, something. This is this is such a weird question. I apologize before I had no, it. But this is but. You talk about fun, and something I really loved about the show was your wardrobe. Um, there was a point. There was, I don't know if anybody's asked you about your wardrobe as you've as you've done this, but I really liked your wardrobe. And there's there's particular there was a moment um, where you had gone out to to talk to one of the choir members and just to just to check in with them and make sure if they were doing well. And you were wearing this vest. Now I I have a bit of astigmatism, and my t- I was watching it on a smaller TV, so I couldn't really see. But it looked like your vest had palm trees on it. And and maybe that wasn't you're probably be like, girl, that that those were palm trees. That that was like whatever. Yes. No, it, it was it was a um I, you know you remember the Hawaiian shirts everybody was wearing? So that was like a Hawaiian print vest. Okay, okay. And there were and so there were palm trees and all that on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely love your style. So my so my question in all that, first of all, is is where do you shop? Number one. And then second of all, um, just how does that reflect kind of as you how do you is, is your is your style, your outward style a reflection of who you are as a as a choir director and what you bring? Do you do you typically dress like that whenever you're in of a church like what 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 what's with all that i'm well first i shop anywhere i do have my favorites um anybody knows me knows gucci is my absolute favorite but i love to go to places like tj maxx uh zara uh you name it i don't have a particular place because wherever i go if I just see something that I like, then I'm going to buy it. It could be at a thrift store. I'm known to go to go to a thrift store or, or to a vintage shop. Um, so there's not a particular place. I do have 
cities that I love to shop. I love to go to LA, New York. I love to shop in Scottsdale, Arizona as well. <laughs> That's like a secret place. I love to go to Houston. So it just depends. But as it relates to my dressing, I, you know, listening to you say that, I will say that that, that does represent what I am because I, I've been told that I, I am very animated, um, slightly flamboyant. And so my dress, um, really shows forth that and it's particular because I'm a very particular person. I'm very particular about every little thing, you know. So even with even with my dressing, it's it's intentional. It's it's calculated. It's thought out. It's not just oh he just happened to throw it on. No, I already thought about it. I probably laid it out or in my sleep I was thinking about how the outfit would be. Um I just love dressing. <laughs> oh wow. That's that's great. But yeah, that 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 outfit gave me so much life. I was looking up like, oh, are those Paul Everybody are those everybody Paul kept asking me about that outfit. Yeah. And you know you know what's so funny? I got that vest on a clearance sale online with JC Penney's and it was two dollars. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yes, but you you were wearing that vest. I I, I loved it. I loved it. But you talk about being just very having very much um, attention to detail, and I can see that reflected in your style. I can see that I'm, I'm not. I don't consider myself overly detail oriented, but something that I had noticed just in particular on some of your spots and some of your interviews, um, like like there was a point I think where you're being interviewed in your house, and I could see in your house like your decor was was a very was a certain. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like you are a very kind of detail oriented and aesthetic oriented type person. So my next yeah. question for you is with, within that, being very detail oriented, being very aesthetic oriented, that obviously is something that um, is important to being a choir master, to being a choir director, to, to hearing all those voices and hearing all them match together. So how are you able um, to, to, to balance that, those details with the big picture? Because a choir is a is a is a big picture. It, it, it's almost like you're capturing different snapshots within that that mm-hmm. make a larger picture. So how do you balance that in your work? Um, that's a good question. I kind of look at it all the same. Um, when I think about how I'm putting together my outfits, textures, tones, colors, um, fabrics, what have you, it's the same thing with my quiet. I'm I, I see. What I hear, I see it. If that's making sense, so you know, I, I I hear the sound of the quiet as it relates to light and dark color tones, and I'm always adjusting, and I'm always moving, and I'm always adjusting so that my picture that I'm painting on the canvas comes out to be the picture that I want. I know what my picture is going to look like before I start painting. So now my choir or my singers, they're my paint, and my hands are the brushes great illustration of of your work as a choir master. Um, I also wanted to ask you so just some more about some of your work, some of what you what you do as a person that you're you're in the church. You've been do, you've been doing this for a very long time for for most of your life, um, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. From from the show, um, that's something that the, the, the work that you do. It, it seems like a, a day in and, and day out of coordinating a choir, of having those those moments where you're where you're really having fun, where, you're, where it seems like you're doing what you were what you were born to do. And so, in that, um, how do you take the different moments that you create? on the stage that you create with the musicians, with, with the singers and all that, how do you take that and bring that moment to a place where, like you said, the, the tears fall, where people feel that, that quote unquote something, and, and we know what that something is, mm-hmm. but how do you take all of those pieces to get to that point? I simply tell people because this is what I do to myself. I say, let the music live in you. And then you in turn live in the music. When you begin to find your place in the music, it's, it's almost like you're flying. Um, any, any problem, any worry, whatever, any frustration, um, even when there's nothing going on, 
music will then also provide a way of celebration if you just get surrounded and covered completely by the music and then you put yourself in it what's on the inside begins to come out people will notice it they will see it they will feel it and they will hear it and you will also and that's how you find that place where the tears begin to fall because it's organic it's 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 spiritual it's it's your language to God. It's your way of encouraging and inspiring the people. Um, because I say it all the time, people come to concerts or they watch TV and people may have different concerns or whatever that's going on. And music is one of the only things that I know, uh, besides great ice cream, um, that can just really make you smile. It can make you cry. It can make you laugh. And I get up every time and I purpose to make people cry, to make people laugh. And to make people smile. And if I do that, I demand that all of my singers do the same thing. That's so touching to be able to touch other people in such a way that is significant. And music is Mm -hmm. a universal language to be able to do that. So my final question for you related to that point of being able to to touch of being able to 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 help it really sounds like music is something that you find healing and that even through your music I, I don't know if it would be accurate to say that maybe through your music even being able to help other other people to be healed and I remember in the show that Pharrell even made the made the comment of somebody's voice he was like that's like a voice where where you know cancer can come out it could come out of the body mm-hmm. How I thought that was that that was that was such a tremendous statement. So how do you, as you're directing this choir, where you're essentially you're sharing the black music tradition with people that not everyone there is black or not everyone mm-hmm. there has a root in the black church mm-hmm. or has a root in that tradition. So how do you use your music? How do you use your gift as, as a choir master? How do you use that to, first of all, be able to impart the culture to people, but then also to bring that healing? Cause a lot of this, you know, as it, as the documentary, as a show was being, was being filmed, it's happening in the midst of great racial tension in our society. Mm-hmm. So how, do you, how do you bring all of that to to a moment in in your in your work. Oh, I, I think it's really simple. We concentrate on the music. Music is the only universal language. An A flat here in America is an A flat in Tokyo, Australia, Argentina, Brazil, the Netherlands. Wherever you go, an A flat is an A flat. A C is a C, and those people showed up because they want to sing. They want to make music. And when we came in, we let it be known we're here to make amazing music. And in the midst of making music and becoming a team, you're talking about 75 people that literally fell in love with each other. And we're wow. all from different places. Some of those choir members are so dear, like the one singer, uh, Maria Robbins. And I have to be careful because I, I find myself being so partial but that is my friend. That is my sweetheart. I would have probably never, I'm, and I'm not by any means uh, uh, racist or anything, but a lot of times when we do our jobs and we go, we go, we kind of just tend to operate in our circles and the same people that we always operate. But this choir caused me to be able to form relationships and meet people that I may have never met otherwise. And now I'm sitting here trying to imagine my life without her and without some of the others. And it's truly amazing. And then the fact that we get to make music together and the music is unlike anything I've ever done because I'm working with people in different people from different backgrounds that I've never worked worked with before. So it's just a new recipe. It's a new sauce. It's just got a different taste altogether. <laughs> wow, that's tremendous. Thank you so much for your time, Patrick. Thank you so much. I could I could talk to you all day just about your craft. And thank <laughs> you so much for giving us just a little buffet sampler dish of what what you have to offer. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith, and formed in community. 
PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Welcome back to Pastor Mike. I am your host, Tyler Burns, and I'm joined by the incredible host of the Combing the Roots podcast and the newly appointed vice president of The Witness BCC, Ali Henney. Ali, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Hey. Well, I just want to start out by saying we haven't had you on the podcast uh, since you have been appointed to your new role at the BCC. So I just want to say congratulations publicly to you. It is no surprise to me. This has been long, a long time coming. But beyond that, I have had the privilege of working alongside you for about 12 to 18 months now behind the scenes at The Witness. And I just want to honor you for making what we do so much better and your commitment to the organization. So congratulations, Vice President. Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to serve in this capacity. Now, you just came out of this interview uh, with Patrick Riddick, the choir master for Netflix gospel special Voices of Fire. Now, I have to say this at the top. I was a little bit skeptical about the show. Was that the same for you? Because I was I was a little skeptical about some of the claims and about what I was going to hear. And part of this is probably because I am a little bit of a gospel music snob and I'm trying to work on it. God is trying to sanctify this out of me. But somebody has to identify with this. I grew up on Fred Hammond and obviously, you know, Kurt Franklin and everyone from the Clark sisters to the Winans. And so you just get spoiled with excellent, phenomenal, you know, gospel music and even choir music, whether it's Mississippi Mass Choir, Georgia Mass Choir, you just get spoiled with different types of gospel music. And so I was curious as to whether or not they were going to deliver on what they had claimed. How do you feel? Like, were you in the same space, Ali? Because it maybe it's just me, but how did you feel heading into watching Voices of Fire? So I was really skeptical, but I was skeptical for different reasons. So, you know, definitely I grew up uh, listening to listening to Black Gospel, grew up listening to Fred Hammond and John P. Key. And I listened to my mom loved John P. Key. I feel like she had a lot of his albums, oh, um, Kirk Franklin, of course, and some of the others. But I, I would say that a lot of my indoctrination or whatever it is into into gospel music was maybe a little bit different. I think being being from um, a rural area definitely you know, had an awareness of people like Donnie McClurkin and the Winans and that type of stuff. Um, but but I think that also my family we were we were churched, but not at di- at different times. So it wasn't so so gospel music. I was raised on it. My grandma, she loved Al Green. Like she loved different, whatever he's saying, gospel music. Some people don't know that, that he did, that he did that. Um, but like, so, so I, Reverend Al Green. yes, Reverend Al, Reverend Al Green. So I grew up in kind of this, this weird, um, kind of milieu of, of, it wasn't just like gospel choirs, but even, it was even like spirituals or it was even like some of that older, like that old, old, like scratchy record type stuff, like Mahalia Jackson and that type of, and that type of stuff. So all that to say that whenever I came into Voices of Fire, I wasn't as skeptical of the choir angle of it. I was just actually really, really skeptical of the concept. I was really skeptical Ooh. of Okay, so you're gonna tell me that this is basically like a Netflix Christian reality show, like reality music contest show. Yeah, that yeah, that no, sounds no, like that's gonna really be bad. Interesting point. That's a really interesting point, Ali. And I actually want to stay there for a second because the way in which Christian reality television and really reality television when it comes to music shows in general is presented. I think number one, when it comes to music shows, it's kind of played out. Mm-hmm. Netflix is probably doing the best job of recreating it from uh, Rhythm and Flow, which came out, I believe, late 2019, early 2020, uh, which is a hip hop reality show with T.I. and Chance the Rapper and Cardi B. And then this, I feel like they tried to recreate it. And I feel like it was refreshing. I found myself being drawn into it in the first couple of episodes 
because I fell in love with these people's stories and I fell in love with where they came from and I fell in love with you know what it seemed like God was doing in their mm-hmm. lives um even some of them that wouldn't even consider themselves to be you know Christians or wouldn't consider themselves to be you know following the faith in a traditional sense so I feel like they subverted my expectations but in a good way it, it, do you feel the same about that yeah I I agree with that I feel like Whenever I was going into it, I was expecting it to be just like this really super churchy, this super like you church folks. But you you know how black church folks be sometimes. Like sometimes we will be really cheesy about stuff. Like, you know, you have acronyms for everything. Like, you know, fat, like faithful, available, and teachable. So you have fat ministry. Hey, yo, hey, you you was in my leadership (laughs) meeting at church. You was in my... No, no shade. But let me tell you, let me tell you, this what I grew up hearing in leadership as a PK, they said we need to be full fat, which is faithful, flexible, available, teachable. Oh, you Some got of y'all know fat. this. Do the oh. bitches stand up? <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my, no, I, like no shade, oh. no shade. I like I grew up in that. I feel it. No shade to any churches that still have fat ministries. Like I'm not, I'm not dissing that at all. <laughs> I'm just saying that sometimes I'm done. black I'm church done, folks yo. can be. We can be a little extra and so i wasn't sure whatever we were going into this if it was going to be just cheesy and you know like just just i don't know how to how to say it but just like in a way where 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 even though like the, the heart behind it would be genuine but it would just come off kitschy i felt like that in reality like watching the show after the first after like not even the first full episode I mean, the opening moment um, when, when, when that person, um, what is it, Danley, whenever, whenever she saying Jesus love me, I was like, oh my goodness, that show, the show opened with that. And then it kind of went back. Cause then the other angle too, is that Pharrell was involved with the show. And so again, I know how sometimes church culture, just in general, how we treat celebrity sometimes, and it can be kind of, you know, gushing and it can be kind of just, it, there's just a weird space that it could be in. So I was, so I was very impressed when, that it felt, it felt like a Netflix show. It felt like something, the, the quality of it, not that I had expected a Netflix show to be poor quality, but I felt like that the quality of it was good. I felt like that, that a lot of the pacing, it combined. It, so it wasn't just like your know, cheesy, like game show type feel. It, it To me, it was almost like a, 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 an amalgamation of a docuseries and a reality show and then also like the music aspect of it i won't don't want to say it was necessarily secondary but it was but it was something that kind of it was it was more of a presence throughout the show rather than it being like oh okay so now we're gonna have singing challenges sing this run and like it was like there like there are ways that that could have gone like to the left and it could have been completely like horrible and cheesy but it was something that that i really felt like that they they held the attention and that it just that it that it stayed it stayed on point and stayed on message for probably most most of these six episodes yeah and i think number one six episodes was perfect uh for this particular show but beyond that i think the the choice to use gospel choir music as the gateway in, I think is a refreshing, intentional choice. Yes. And it's also a controversial choice because, you know, you were talking about John P. Key. I remember when our church brought John P. Key down, man, I was probably 12, 13 years old uh, to do a concert locally in the area. And that is a night I will never forget. And I remember rubbing shoulders with a lot of these, you know, big name gospel artists just because of where my, my church was positioned. And you know, the fellowship and the association that we are part of. And John P. Key, when that was a moment that stood out to me because there was such a a power that he was able to maintain and carry over an hour and a half concert mm. um, and and an excellence and a high skill level mm-hmm. that he was able to portray. And it came from a different place. I think gospel music is both the best and potentially the most controversial, the toughest medium. Mm-hmm. To have a challenge or to have a a choir building competition like this, because when you think about it, gospel music is intrinsically inclusive. Mm-hmm. Anybody can sing it, and the anointing touches based upon 
the heart of the person, not based upon where they've come from, not based upon what denomination they are. That's why whenever gospel choir music, it is just, it's genre bending and it's Mm -hmm. also barrier breaking by nature of the medium itself. But it's also tough because you cannot fake the anointing. Mm. People think it's skill and people think it's runs. It's not just that. And and those of us who know, and Ali and I are Pentecostals, so well, this is where we this is where we come from. So when you think about just someone singing well, it's not just them singing, it's the anointing behind how they're singing. So yes, we know that Kiara Sheard is a gifted vocalist, but she sings from a different place. Yes. And yes. I felt like what was really helpful is, and, and it's not saying that the show did it perfectly, because there were definitely moments where I felt like people were trying to force the moment or mm-hmm. people were trying to force it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I felt like the show did really well was connected the lived story of the person yes. to what they were singing because it took it to a different place. Like when you hear Marcus's testimony, uh, when you hear Elena, when you hear Dan, when you hear some of these people, you're like, Okay, it doesn't really make as much sense that they would be singing gospel music, but then when you hear them sing, you're like, oh, okay, well, it does make sense. Right. <laughs> because it's like, oh, they've gone through things. Mm-hmm. And because they feel like they've gone through things and they feel like God has taken them through those things, now the singing and what comes out is from a different place. So a lot of these things, yes, gospel music and especially choir music is high skill, but it's the anointing behind it. And I felt like there were moments when that broke through in an incredibly powerful way. Um, And so I was really appreciative of that aspect of the show. Yeah, I was, there were several points when I was just in tears, like just listening to people sing. And again, the anointing, like to to quote John P. Key, since we just been talking about John P. Key this whole time, hopefully we don't get like a copyright thing, but the anointing anointing makes a difference. Like it just, it just does. And there were, there were moments that just, that I was just sitting, here just just tears rolling down my eyes you, know, you mentioned elena and just and just hearing her story and and how you know spoiler alert but she only has 50 percent of her hearing and to hear that i mean it's a child you know 15 year old yeah you know she's she's learning the gospel medium was was brand new to her basically um but to but to hear her sing and to the, like there is like there's something on that child's voice like we can we can talk about about skill we can talk about all that type of stuff and sometimes i think that whenever that in kind of big big church in 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 I, I say you know big church with like a, with like a trademark or like a copyright symbol next to it, like this idea of like the the big church industrial complex. Um, sometimes the the, the the technical skill of, uh, uh, and then I'm not saying you you want to hear a skilled singer sing most of the time. Like you want to hear somebody who is skilled sing their song. You don't want to hear a person who can't match pitch who is consistently off key like i mean is i totally understand somebody being being able to be a good singer from a technical standpoint but there are times that i think that in kind of the, like the big church industrial complex where we place a high premium on skill so the ability to do the runs the ability to do all sorts of things vocally and we sacrifice the anointing. And so there are some singers mm. that are Ooh. maybe not technically skilled or they can th- or they have some vocal skill because a lot of people can't sing, a lot of people can't match pitch, a lot of people can't carry a tune, but they have an anointing. And so that so that's the difference. And of course we want skill and we want anointing, but whenever we're talking about being in that church service, I would rather have anointing over skill most of the time unless I, and I'm a, I'm a musician in a small way a musician and a singer in a very in a very small way I'm not that great or whatever but I but I do notice I've been in church settings where like I've noticed where I'm like wow you don't have good timing this is this is taking me out of the song because right. you don't you don't yeah, have good timing yeah. or okay your pitch is just a, like it's enough like you're you're enough off that it's like okay this is taking this is taking me out of what would have otherwise been um a good worship moment this is taking me out of it so I, I don't want to discount that but i say all that to say that i just think that there are times when we can put such a premium on skill and we could put such a premium on all the vocal gymnastics that people can do 
and and that's and that's singers and that is also instrumentalists too that we do that almost sometimes to the to the sacrifice of of God's anointing and of God carrying that that moment yes. and carrying that song. So whenever you talk about the testimony, whenever you talk about um whenever you talk about that aspect of hearing these people audition and hearing these people sing, for me that was a that was a big part of it, you know, hearing some of these different stories and being like, wow, that person, that person is singing and, and you can tell that, that, you know, I, I go back to Danley, like you can, you could tell from the, from the moment that she opened her mouth, that it was like, okay, this person has a story. This person, yes. this person has something yeah. now. And impossible not to be emotional. Like when you, when you hear that. And I think, mm-hmm. of, I think of a number of people, uh, keeps testimony, um, I think of Alrenzo's and and all these people are are talented, but it was like the way in which they were telling their personal narrative. And of course, Marcus, Marcus as well. Marcus's testimony was um, just fascinating in the sense of he's not even supposed to be here. He's not even supposed to be walking, you know. Mm-hmm. And you sit you sit here, you're like, wow, he's able to sing in front of thousands of people. So. Um, I cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. The only thing that I was going to say is whenever we talked about the testimony, there's one aspect of it, though, that kind of gave me some pause. Um, I I enjoyed hearing the, the testimonies for the most part, but there got to be a point that it was like it was it was right on the line. Actually, I won't even say that it was right on the line. The, I was talking to somebody else about this, um, about the about the show afterward, and I was like, I would not call the testimonies or anything. I don't feel like that it was like, you know, trauma porn or anything like that. I didn't feel that way about it. Mm-hmm. But I felt like it was maybe in a similar neighborhood. And I don't think that that was the intent of the people who did the show at all to make, to, to exploit the people's stories. But I, but for me there, cause, and I won't name any names. So for people who are watching it, they're who want to watch it later, they don't have it spoiled for them who makes the choir or not. But there was somebody who shared a very profound story of trauma and then, like they didn't make it in the choir, and not that, yes. the, and no, oh my God. not Yo. that they, and I'm not saying that they Yo. have to make the choir because of their testimony, but it's like, but I'm just thinking from like a production standpoint, you that person unburdened their stuff, you put it yes. in yeah. the documentary, and, and like, then, uh, not this person. You're like, Wait, <laughs> like, hold on a second. Like that was something, but I don't think it was anything that was on any of the people who were, who were doing the auditions for the choir, who were doing any of that. And this was really, in my opinion, more of a, of a production issue of like a post production issue where it was like, okay hold on a second like that just really felt kind of exploitive like we just you get us wrapped up in this person's story and then you let them go what yeah and 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 it was funny Malina, my wife and i we were watching it together and she said i hope this person makes it because i feel like if they don't it's gonna break them yes oh my god that's so true so that is one thing i was like don't tell me this person's story and then let me get attached to them and then they don't make the choir. And then you're like playing bargaining chips with like people's stories and like, well, you know, like this person had a good story and this person, and it wasn't, it wasn't that, that crude, but it just felt like you're choosing between two people who just shared their entire lives. And you're like, well, I don't know if this person is right. Well, you know, and I'm like, yo, this is stressful. And I was, I felt my body getting tense because I'm like, man, what does this mean to this person? How does this person see this when they're watching this back yes, with their families yes. or with their people. And they're like, ah, oh, man, well, I, I probably wouldn't have shared that if I knew I wasn't going to be in the you know, the actual choir. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, there were several moments that kind of, there, not several, there were, there were maybe two or three moments in that whole process that had me kind of like, oh my goodness. Like, again, that feeling, the tension in your body, like there was a part, part where Marcus, where he had told his testimony. And then again, this is a production thing. This isn't, this wasn't anything on, on any of the people who were involved with the show, but um, the, they, Marcus shared his testimony. He had been paralyzed, was able to walk again, blah, 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 blah powerful story so then they do like a cutaway to like a a testimonial from the bishop and the bishop's like 
well, we're all damaged goods and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my gosh, did they just do, did they just do ableism here? I feel like that they just did, that they just did casual ableism. And there were several moments, several little moments like that. Mm. Yeah, there's just several little moments that were like, Ooh, I don't know how this would play for people with disabilities. Like, I don't, I'm not sure how this would 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 play for disabled people. I, I think that they would that they would feel some type of way about the representation that that they're getting here. So there were some moments like that that I felt like, um, again, they weren't they weren't enough at least for me. Which of course I'm not a disabled person, so maybe it would be something. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would mean something different from people with different communities with different from, from different communities from different backgrounds. But it, it wasn't enough for me to just be like, okay, well this is trash. I'm going to shut it off. Um, but it was enough for me to be like, oh my gosh, I feel really uncomfortable in this moment. Okay, yeah. they, y'all yeah. did. And 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 they there are disabled people within the choir, but how that's presented, I think, is something I was not sensitive to. So I really thank you for bringing that point up. So I think a lot of us are going to miss that because I feel like it's, especially in, in black church, black gospel music, there's so many crossing of metaphors mm-hmm. and throughout so many cliches yes. that we're not thinking about. And we have to adjust our cliches. I was having a conversation with one of my members about this recently when I, I told her, I said, I, I apologize for making this statement that she didn't even catch, but she was talking about sensitivity in the pulpit and stuff like that. And I said, I, I didn't even, I said, I realized I didn't, and she didn't even catch it. And she said, no, no, I didn't catch that part. But I, I feel like that's something we have to be constantly learning and unlearning, you know, as we invite people into this space. And we have to also invite the opportunity to grow and broaden our perspectives on a number of issues from marginalized people um, who have historically been pushed to the side and ignored, even within the Black church context, inclusive as it may be for many of us. Um, I have to shout out, and I know we're not we're not trying to do spoilers. I've already spoiled some of it, but man, Melvet, yo. Oh my goodness. <laughs> listen, listen. It's, it's singing and it's singing. Mm-hmm. Sis, look, I, I was like, whoa, you know, you have a person who just can come from that place because can just stand as we like to call it, stand flat footed and move thousands. I'm like, that voice translates anywhere. I don't care if it's 10 or tens of thousands. Get her. I need an album. I need. Yes. <laughs> I need, and she was just I so need, effortless look, too. Like it was like, it was, was tearing it up. Exactly. Yes. She would tear it up. Would be runs, would be, would be high, would be low and would just be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm here. It's whatever. Uh, and I'm just like, wow, you just did that. You snatched us bald headed and didn't tell us nothing. Yes. You didn't give us any, no kind of warning. Didn't let us braid our hair. Didn't let us get a <laughs> wig on. Didn't, didn't do anything. Just snatched just us bald headed. Just right there. And I, you know, I love that part of gospel music. And so when I heard that, I said, that's what I love to you. And there were a number of people, uh, Brittany, Melvet, a, a couple of others that I was like, when they open their mouths, I said, oh man, it feels like when someone is able to do that so effortlessly, it feels like it feels like home. It feels like someone's wrapping yes. their arms around you and it feels like a warm embrace. And that's, I think, the beauty of the Black gospel music tradition is that warm embrace while you're experiencing such excellence where you're just like, it's dizzying for you. There's an there's an album. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal it uh, today. But when we talk about our cultural artifacts at the end of the year, there's an album that did that for me uh, in the gospel mm. music tradition. And it's like I experienced. It took me to another place. And I mark those moments when something takes me to another place where I'm like, I was I was and and you feel so you feel so honored because you're like I was sitting here on my own not doing anything in particular, and you took me there, I would not have experienced this if I didn't click on this album or if I didn't hear you sing. And that is how I think the power of what God God uses the gospel music tradition to move people to you know, break chains if we want to get spiritual, to well, destroy yokes, well. you know, if we want to be honest about it, and really break up the hearts and open up uh, people to the, to the move of God in the earth. And as we think about this, we have to, I, I think it's important for us to talk about how important it is to know that because the show had a different process. And you and I were talking about this before the recording. What did you think about the process of the show and how it grabbed 
these people, how it used their stories, and then how it brought them in, because it seems a lot different from your typical, you know, reality show on network television. So I absolutely loved their process. From what I was able to discern from the show, from the show itself, is they called. They had a call for submissions. It seemed like most of the submissions were people who were from Virginia because of the uh, church and the choir stuff was based in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Mm-hmm. There were a few outliers, but it was mostly people based in that area. They had about 3,000 submissions. And so that they, I think they did like video submissions and then they invited. So the auditions that you see at the beginning of the show on the first like three episodes are actually by invitation. And so they invited 300 people to the church. And I think they did like one other venue to carry out the auditions. And so whenever the people auditioned, they were people who there, there was not really a bad audition in any of the ones that they showed. And I, what I enjoyed about the process is because typically an American Idol pioneered this. Um, I remember watching the very first episode of American Idol whenever nobody knew what it was. I wasn't big into it. And part of the reason was because of what I'm about to talk about. Um, but the whole thing, you know, you come in, they have the they have the judges you sing and then the judges maybe offer critique and the whole appeal of, of something like American Idol and a lot of these types of shows is the critique and so especially in that audition phase it's you so you hear a range of talent so you hear people who can't sing and you hear people who absolutely can sing and then the appeal of some of these shows is hearing the people who can't sing and hearing the criticism and and kind of just seeing the the some of the um some of the kookiness or whatever of some people who audition well voices of fire didn't do that i felt like that they brought in people who had some level of talent. And so then in the audition process, I felt like that the audition process, at least what they showed of it, um, was, was a very affirming. And there were points where they might, you know, have, where they would show like off camera, um, or, or in a, in a testimonial or whatever from one of the judges where they would say, yeah, you know, this person maybe lacked a little bit of stage presence. I maybe wanted to see a little bit more stage presence from them or whatever, but they, but they did that. It, it was a whole other part. It was a whole other interview. So there in the interview, in the audition space, the audition space just felt, it felt like a safe space. It felt like people were able to come and share their talent and people sharing from a variety of different musical genres and traditions and the judges. And I, I hate to even call them judges because they real because I mean, they, they were, but they weren't it was just like the, like the people who were listening um to the auditions were just very it was it was a very positive atmosphere but then i say that but it wasn't it wasn't like christian cheesy positive either like it was it was real like the auditions felt real it felt like we were watching an authentic experience but the but the entertainment wasn't derived from seeing people fail or seeing people mm. not do very well or like like they didn't keep the auditions interesting is that cuz you keep the auditions like an on a show like that sometimes you keep the auditions interesting by having a few people on there who really shouldn't have even been on camera but they but they are because it helps break up what could definitely be a monotony. I mean, you have, I think that the way these shows typically work is that they have, um, a select like list of songs that have been cleared because you have to have, you can't just sing anything. Like they have to have the songs cleared for, for copyright and that type of thing. So often like there's a list of songs. So there's only so many different times that you can hear at last. Um, there's only a certain, there's only, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's only rise up, you know, blessed assurance. There's only amazing grace. Like there's only um, so many times that you can hear, a song before it does start to start to seem monotonous. But I think that they, that they did a very good job instead of, okay, well, we're going to break up the monotony by having a person who had no business being on anybody's stage, come in here and try to sing gospel music. They, they broke up the monotony by, by giving the testimonies, by sharing the stories, by people talking about themselves. And they let that carry it. They let, mm-hmm. they let the, the, um, confessional, the testimonies from the, from the judges, from some of the different personnel and stuff carrying it rather than us 
deriving our entertainment from belittling and, and pulling down other people. And so I, I, yeah. in, I enjoyed that, the, the show, the audition part of it expressly for that. Yeah. And you know, when we think about this, this idea of, of mockery and how much our, our, you know, entertainment is driven by that. And, you know, some of that is, you know, you talk about gently ribbing your friends or Mm -hmm. something like that. Like that's different. Yes. We're talking about people we don't even know. We don't know their stories. We don't know Mm -hmm. what they're going through. And I think in 2020, especially, it was refreshing to see the ability to celebrate one another. And especially, you know, there's a scene when they're trying out for solos where you see the support that people are getting. And then at the end, you see the affirmation of certain members of the choir and they're able to to tell their stories and they're able to be uplifted by the people who are who are arranging and putting the choir together. And that was so special to me in a moment of 20 like in 2020 where you're dealing with a pandemic when you're dealing with so much uncertainty around us. That was just that lifted me in a way I wasn't expecting. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate the way that was affirming and dignifying. But at the end of the day, Bishop said Hey, we're trying to build the world's best choir. Now I know there there's a couple of different statements they made. They're the world's most diverse gospel choir. They also said the world's best gospel choir. What do you think about that? Do you think that they accomplished that goal? How do you think they did in trying to achieve the world's best choir? So at this point, or I would say, because they did show, I won't talk about the epilogue. There was a little bit of an epilogue at the end um, that I won't that I won't give away. Um, but I will say that we have to keep in mind that this show was recorded. I it was probably 2018 or 2019, some somewhere in that in that bit. So there was so there was more that happened after the show takes place, um, after the final performance of the show takes place. Um, so uh, with all that said. Um, what they what was shown of their kind of their performance and stuff that they were working toward. I won't say that it was like a bad performance or anything like that, but it wasn't, it, it was a new choir. It was a new, like you're getting um, 75, or I think it was roughly, I think by the end it was, it was probably roughly 70 people um, to get together to sing. And they had one of the little pieces of, and I don't think it, it was sort of manufactured drama, but they didn't really like, they didn't really put it in the show like, oh, we are manufacturing drama, but they had um, about three weeks to prepare for their first performance. And so you have a group of people who several of them had never sung gospel music before. Um, you have people that just, that, that are getting together. It's a brand new choir. It's, it's uh, voices who haven't all sung together before. And so I wouldn't say that in that moment at the end, that at the end of the, at the end of the show that like, Oh yeah, it's the world's best choir. Um, I think that I, I would still say that, that at this point that's aspirational for that choir and that, and that's fine. That I, I hope that there's, I hope that there's a follow-up. I hope that there's, that there's voices of fire too, or that there's something that we get, that we get a documentary that we get to see this choir um, grow and develop over, over the next few years. Yeah. I think um, at the end of this with Patrick Riddick, who is phenomenal, Bishop Ezekiel, Queen, so many other people who are trying to, bring this together with a concentrated talent pool, with picking the best of the best, with the best songs, with a pressure, with all the money that Netflix can throw into it, with Pharrell backing you. And in six weeks, it is still nigh impossible to master the gospel choir music. Yes. It's just, it's, it's impossible. It is impossible to bring people together and say that we have the world's best choir especially considering so many other choirs uh, have been working together with the chemistry and over the course of time. Now, what I will say is I don't know if they could have done a better job in the time given mm-hmm. with the constraints that they yes. had. I don't know if it's possible to do better than what they did, but it just shows you the nature of how gospel music is not just, there's not just an anointing, but there's also an incredible skill and excellence level that when it, when you get to this place, when you get to the place of hosting thousands of people in concert in big venues, singing black gospel choir music, you got to bring it and you got to be 
perfect. Yes. And if you've ever been in a gospel choir, you know this. Yes. Hours upon hours, the timing, the attention to cues, uh, coming in at the right moments, the ability to improvise and have spontaneity, all these things are are products of years and years of hard work and dedication. And so I honor them for the opportunity that they took and the chance that they took on this because it was something I feel like we needed to hear and that we needed to see. But at the end of the day, regardless of if they accomplished that goal, you're right, it's aspirational. It's something that they're still reaching and striving towards as a group. And I love, I would love to see the evolution of it. I would love to see how they continue it. And this was a enjoyable experience. I went in skeptical and I came out inspired. I came out really uplifted. Um, so Ali, thank you so much for being on Pass the Mic and helping us work through this and think through it and process it. And of course, interviewing the great choir master, Patrick Riddick, Voices of Fire. I think, I think it was a success. Yeah, I agree. It was. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.